Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at Wilmington and Beaches Vacation.com. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Wednesday, November 9th, 2016. From Slate, it's The Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. They say people get the government they deserve, yet there is no way the same general mass of people can deserve Bill Clinton and then George W. Bush and then Barack Obama. And after Barack Obama, approval rating right now, 56%, after that transformative guy, They deserve Donald Trump. I feel more gutted today than any day of my life other than one in which someone I knew died or was diagnosed with an illness. Maybe you have other down days in your life that weren't that bad. Your worst breakup, a rejection from college or a job or some opportunity that you wanted. But you moved on. You picked yourself up. And you're not even the United States of America, the richest and most powerful country in the world. Of course, you would think a country that enjoys such a status could guard itself against the likes of Donald Trump by not allowing the infection to take hold in the first place. But the inoculation of an election did not work. So now let us talk about antibiotics. Here at Slate, it's like a wake. I listened to the political gab fest being taped. Uh, That to me was a third of a minion. And it all makes sense. We always knew that whoever was elected president, he or she would have unprecedentedly high negatives. But right now, this is the most vulnerable and afraid the most people have ever felt after a presidential election. Every other president in our lifetimes, even if you didn't like him, had experience, had a body of work to judge him against, didn't represent so very much of the unknown. Last night, I did a live event, which was supposed to end in a hallelujah chorus. It ended in a dirge. I actually don't remember the vast majority of that event. Uh, Instinct and endorphins and flop sweat or something set in. I will play a couple of snippets of that as my spiel in this show today. And I'll also resist the urge to note that it was among the weirdest experiences of my life because I'm going to say that last night was probably amongst the weirdest experiences of your life too. So what I want to do is I want to pull us back from the brink. I want to pull us back from the worst assumptions, reading this clearly troubling and possibly dire situation as impossible, because it's not impossible. I will be looking back over the next few days and weeks to examine what we got wrong, the polls, the media. Let's talk about the polls, though, for a second. They were off in a way that they were not off in the Republican primary. They were off in a way that they weren't off before Brexit. The last two weeks before Brexit, more polls showed leave ahead of remain, but the polls were off. The assumptions were off. The prediction markets were off. There were a lot of signals that would lead an empiricist, which I fancy myself to be and strive to be, 
convince me, thinking empirically, that Trump would lose. And not just because of some idea of a media bubble or elitism blinding me or us from this clear populist mood. We got the mood. We saw the parallels all over Europe. We noted Hillary Clinton's weakness. All that was accurate. We just perhaps put more faith in the voters. Perhaps we discounted how much of what Trump said or did they would discount. Donald J. Trump. I don't even know if he ran a good campaign. I don't know if he was actually a skilled candidate. He won, so we're tempted to say, yeah, he was, but maybe it was just the right candidate against the wrong candidate at the right moment for him. So let us work together to understand what happened. I'm going to talk about polls. I'm going to talk about media. I'm going to talk about culture, all in upcoming shows. Now, right now, I want to offer a couple theories as to why the next four years might not meet our worst fears for disaster. These, in short, are the pewter linings. Pewter lining one. This is the bluster theory of Trump. Trump supporters actually subscribe to this theory. They always excused what parts of his ideas that they didn't like as bluster. And in fact, given that on several issues he's contradicted himself, some percent of his stated agenda is necessarily bluster. So maybe the stuff you hate most will be the part that's bluster. For me, it's the 45% tariff. Like, I believe he will try to wall us off from Mexico. That will be a fiasco of efficacy. I'm sure he'll rip up the Iran deal. I'm sure he'll limit all Syrian migration. His policies there aren't my policies, but they do have the support of almost all Republicans, but not the tariff, not the potential trade war of a tariff. No serious person supports that tariff. So what I do is I look for the pewter lining. Maybe his stance on the tariff was bluster, or maybe he really would like to propose a 45% trade tariff, but we'll find some other areas to spend his political capital on. Because here's the next possible pewter lining. Trump does have a desperate need for affirmation. That is not a good trait in a true leader, normally, but Trump has shown that he wants to lead where his cheering crowds want to be led. One anecdote, recently reported in the New York Times, he was against using the phrase drain the swamp. He saw it as cliched, but he said it at a rally. It got a huge response and it became a mainstay. Now I know there is a lot to argue with his theory that he's headstrong and vindictive and does not mind being loathed by people who he loathes, but I think he might live in fear of a low approval rating. So I find a pewter lining in the fact that the one policy he actually mentioned in his acceptance speech was infrastructure. Didn't even talk about the wall. So the country could come together around necessary spending. He is a builder. He does understand structures. He would like to put his name on something sparkly. I think he would love to give himself credit for tangible projects that he could point to over and over. Now, I don't see Paul Ryan as being that into all the necessary amount of spending that would go into infrastructure, but we'll see. And here's another pewter lining. All along, he's been incentivized to portray America as in the worst light, but now he has to build America up. It's on his watch. So perhaps this most distressing and divisive aspect of his candidacy will not continue onto his presidency. Another pewter lining concerns his inner circle. It seems that his cabinet will be stocked full of figures like Chris Christie and Rudy Giuliani and Newt Gingrich, and that seems terrible. Yet, Newt Gingrich was third in line for the presidency for four years, and the republic survived, and Giuliani and Christie, before their relative downfalls, demonstrated they could lead, that they could be pragmatic and popular, and even earn the votes of both liberals and conservatives. Yeah. I know they were serving liberal constituencies. They weren't serving a country that has Republican control in the White House and the Senate and the House of Representatives and the majority of state houses and the majority of governor's mansions and soon the Supreme Court. I know. I know all of this. I will acknowledge pewter tarnishes a little bit easier than I thought.
So on the show today and in the next few days, I'm going to gather the wise voices. First, we'll have Republican strategist Mike Murphy. He is a relative optimist. And then the New Yorker's Adam Davidson will join us. Adam is not optimistic. Today, I ask him to make sense of the crazy activity in the markets. And tomorrow, we'll go through Trump's most potentially kooky fiscal and monetary ideas. So on to the markets, which didn't crash yet. Pewter linings, people. Pewter linings. The Defender is a beautiful car, but beauty is, of course, sometimes only skin deep. Not with the Defender. Let's talk about the interior. It's robust, built with integrity. Yes, it's designed iconically, the exterior. That's what compelled me. My, my neighbor Jay says, Mike, you see what's on the block? It's a Defender. And I look down the block and indeed there is. And me and Jay the neighbor and Michelle, we gather around the Defender. We peer in the window. I have to say, I don't want to make this a too tawdry, but we lust or perhaps we gvel. To drive the Defender is to explore with greater confidence. We looked at the cargo capacity, more room for the gear. There's really a wide range of adventures. The Defender family features the two-door Defender 90, the Defender 110, and the Defender 130, which seats up to eight. Push what's possible with a vehicle made to go further. The Defender 110. Learn more at LandRoverUSA.com slash Defender. Joining me now is Adam Davidson, who covers economics for The New Yorker. And he's going to try to cover what is going on in the markets today. Hello, Adam. Hey, Mike. I know you hate this more than anything else, but today the markets have behaved to me so confusingly. They were down so much in after-hours trading, right after the election results were being processed, that the trading was stopped. It was an automatic stop. And yet when it opened today, they're up slightly. Can you explain this? Yeah, I mean, and today's trading and, and these crazy numbers is really not about fundamental questions about, you know, is Trump going to be a good president? Is the economy going to function well? It's really about traders guessing what other traders are guessing about what other traders are guessing. So um, this is known in economics as the beauty contest problem that John Maynard Keynes described. You could win a prize for guessing who the prettiest girl in the paper is. This was in the 1930s when he wrote this. And um, what you were actually doing was guessing what other people were guessing, other people were guessing. And he said, you know, you're really, it could become like a honeymooner sketch. Like, you know, I know that you know that I know that you know. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. exactly. So today I'd put it like this. And I kind of generally, as you know, hate anything that begins with, well, the markets believe, but whatever, that's what I'll do. There was an initial like, whoa, this is big. This is scary. How big? Well, we don't actually know, but the market will tell us like how big it freaks out. And the initial reaction was like, okay, it's pretty big. But then by this morning, it started to become clear, okay, this is not even as big as Brexit. It's way smaller, a trading event, um, Trump winning than, you know, lots and lots of things that have happened in U.S. history. So, so yeah, so a couple questions. Since I'm searching for pewter linings today, that's the yeah. best that's the best I could hope for. Is it at least a pewter lining that they haven't tanked? That people haven't just said, like with Brexit, look, no matter what happens, we know it won't be good? I feel like I have a good news, bad news situation for you, Mike. And the good news isn't even that good. So here's the good news. 
it seems that after an initial like, whoa, what's going on, markets and investors and blah, 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 have not priced in a likelihood of a sudden sharp collapse of the U.S. economy or the global economy. There seems to be an increasing view that we're not going to see the complete decimation of value and, and basic financial activity that a lot of people predicted, a lot of very smart, smart, learned people predicted, although this is not a great week for smart, learned people who predicted stuff, including me. But here's, so, so the good news is, yes, it it looks like, at least for right now, nobody's thinking, okay, very soon, in the next few weeks, even before he's president, we're going to price in a complete collapse of the economy. Mm. Here's why I, that doesn't reassure me as much as it might. And that's because I think markets are, as a general rule, are really terrible at figuring out how to deal with events that fundamentally transform the basic architecture, the basic structure of markets themselves. So in the financial crisis, why was the financial crisis a time not just of lost value, we've had that before, but a time of like true terror, panic, confusion. And that's because the financial crisis was attacking the very core of how finance works, how value is determined by calling into question the most basic aspects of financial activity, like how much is a bond worth and how much will banks lend each other for overnight trading. These are like the basic, basic um, core framework of, of how an economy functions. And markets don't really know how to deal with that. I mean, it's like calling a plumber because your toilet's clogged and your plumber shows up and is ready to figure out why your toilet's clogged and then learns that water is no longer a fluid and that there's some new phase in the world and it's impossible to know at any given time whether water was a fluid or a solid. And they're like, oh, I don't know how to deal with that. Maybe buy a new toilet. So I'd say that the, the risk from Trump or the many, 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 many risks from Trump are so core to the very central architecture of our system. So he has toyed with not paying our debts. He's toyed with having a very chaotic monetary policy where he appoints Federal Reserve uh, governors who, who do weird things. He's you know, obviously talked about ending trade as we know it and, and entering a trade war. He's talked about um, no longer taking seriously the U.S. obligation to the fundamental trading system. So like one thing that nobody even prices in, nobody even thinks about, is that the U.S. Navy, by patrolling the seas, creates the platform upon which all global commerce rests. Mm -hmm. Will Trump hear about that? And he probably doesn't know about it, but will he hear about that and say, why the hell are we doing that? Someone else should do that. So I think, you know, basically the market is saying, holy Moses, this is terrible. And then it's saying, oh, I guess today it's not that terrible, but it might be terrible in the future. Adam Davidson covers economics for The New Yorker. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Mike. And tomorrow, Adam and I will go through three of Trump's major economic policies and decide which could be the worst and which could be the most and least likely. Here's a sense of the tone of that conversation. My expectation is that for the rest of our lives, the United States will be a poorer country than it was, that the entire world will be poorer than it would have been, and we have a real and true risk of a fundamental destruction of the very building blocks of our way of life. You'll definitely want to tune in for that.
Mike Murphy's Radio Free GOP was one of my favorite podcast companions this election season with analysis and interviews, but also jingles and jokes and branding like the Orange Menace and the promise of show trials should Trump win. Well, guess what? Trump won. We will now ask Mike Murphy about that. Hi, Mike. Hello. Good to be here. Mike, are you, you know, you didn't vote for Barack Obama. You wanted him to lose. But are you scared? Are you scared in a way that you weren't when uh, Barack Obama was elected or Bill Clinton was elected? Well, look, I was vociferously anti-Trump. That was pretty clear on the Radio Free GOP podcast. We have our our final episode coming out late tonight, and then we're going to go on hiatus for a while because I'm not going to be you know, hammering on our new president-elect because I want him to be a success and I want him to, to grow into the office and, uh, and reach excellence. So I want to give him a shot to do that and not be carping from the sidelines. So, you know, he did things in the campaign that I found offensive. I was delighted we won the Senate and held the House. So we have a united Republican team, which will help buttress President-elect Trump. But I'm going to wait and see. Many of my concerns are, you know, domestic policies like protectionism and some of his foreign policy stuff. But with the right staff and the right intent and maybe a new tone recognizing the big uh, burden we placed on him in this this incredibly difficult job, he may rise to the occasion. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to be a critic. We're going to bury the transmitter of resistance radio in the backyard, (laughs) but we can dig it up again if need be. Good. And I was talking about that too, trying to look or try to find silver linings. So let's talk about what you just said. Do you think that his administration will be staffed with many mainstream Republicans who you know, there was some talk that he'd be hard pressed to get qualified people to do not just cabinet jobs, but up and down the executive branch. Well, you know, it was a change election and that's what carried him in a repudiation of a third Obama term and the idea of something very different in politics. So I think, you know, there might be a few challenges there, but there's also an opportunity for new people. I would say this. I think the national security professionals in the party, some of the economic policy professionals would and should join a Trump administration if asked. And if the president-elect is smart, he will ask them. It's specialized expertise. There's experience there. He will need to draw on. And I'm hoping that Senator McConnell, our incredibly able majority leader, and Speaker Ryan, who both have deep staffs and deep connections, can help him, along with Governor Christie, who's, of course, his transition chief, to bring in some pros. Uh, it doesn't have to be all the old retreads, just people from various parts of the expert class of of technocrats who understand some of these complicated issues because he is a very big government to start running. Right. But we should note that Corey Shockey, who worked in the Bush administration, told me that she knows of no seasoned foreign policy expert who was supporting Trump. And the Wall Street Journal did a survey of all the Republicans who ever served on the Council of Economic Advisors, couldn't find one willing to go on the record as supporting Trump. So I guess that means that in your scenario, there have to be a lot of people in his administration who didn't necessarily support him. That's weird. Yeah. No, it's a little weird, but they're patriots who love the country and want them to succeed. So during a campaign, a lot of us didn't support him. But right now, if the president of the United States says, you are you know, an expert on East Asia, or you've been involved in these negotiations, and I need you to serve in the national interest, I, I think many of them would say absolutely. And President-elect Trump, I'm learning to say that, uh, yeah. should be should be big and magnanimous enough to take advantage of talent where he might have not been their first choice. But, you know, we're not talking about South Baltimore ward politics here. This is president of the only superpower, and he's going to need the help. Personnel is policy, and I'm hoping he's smart enough to go for it. 
So you're painting a picture where he's going to lean on people with experience and it'll be a lot of Republicans, maybe Mitch McConnell, people with a generally Republican agenda. But on what issues do you think that stops? Because he ran not just as a branded Maverick Republican, but, you know, disagreeing with Republican policy on a lot of things. Yeah, well, that's where, you know, a, a thing that was criticized in the in the earlier in the campaign period as a Trump vice could actually be a virtue. Trump has a lot of ideological flexibility. He is a pragmatic person. So he might be open to a little flexibility on some things, but he'll want a staff that can implement his top priorities, which include immigration reform, more border security, and trade policies that are more about fair trade than open-ended you know, free trade. That said, it'll be hard to find support both in the Congress and the Senate under, under Republican rule to be, uh, in my view, stupidly protectionist. So he might have to find a middle ground there. There will be a ton of expertise or maybe some Democrats who are attracted to a reform agenda. There are probably people from business that he might be able to attract. I, I think if he's open-minded and inclusive, he could build a big team. If he hunkers down to a few of the characters who are hanging around the campaign and nobody else, then he's doing both himself and the country a disservice. Well, you've often pondered his personality, and I know you want to be optimistic and also support the office of the presidency, but do you think that um, his need for approval, which is one of his tendencies, will overweigh his pugnacious tendencies and his need to counterpunch? That is the billion-dollar question. Uh, I think he knows he won, uh, obviously, and I think he knows that he was the most underestimated candidate in a long time. He could be the most underestimated president. There is a path for him, but he'll have to recognize that a more inclusive uh, style and less of the grievance tone will be required to govern successfully. There are plenty of people, including some around him now, I think can explain that to him. He probably gets it on his own. Will he have the discipline to act it and not you know, blow some of the same dog whistles that he was fond of in the primary? That, to me, is the defining test of the Trump presidency. We're going to know a lot in the next 100 days. All right. You and I both thought that he has a lot of he favors a lot of policies and he has a lot of tendencies that have the potential to be pretty disastrous or failures. But what does history show us? Will the failures be apparent if they are failures? You know, kind of a worst case scenario. Will it be apparent by midterms or 2020 that his policies have failed? Uh, Will voters know this and feel this? Yes, I think it'll be quicker than that. I think in the next year, a year from now, he will either be kind of a federal version of Governor Jesse Ventura, and it will be a comic opera White House, and that'll be a tragedy for the country, and I'm hoping and praying against it. Or he will show real growth and be kind of a Republican Harry Truman type who was massively underestimated going into office, surprised a lot of people, and was successful. Uh, I think his future is in his hands. He's been given an awesome responsibility, and we should all hope that he can get a path to succeed in it. And does the future of the Republican Party depend on what the picture looks like in that year? Well, I don't know if the entire future does, but there's no question it is um, It is very important to our future that he either be a success or if he, at his own doing, spins into failure, we provide a, a very strong and obvious alternative uh, point of view. But I'm hoping for the former, and I want to do everything I can to help him be a successful president. And I got one last question. As someone who is uh, mired in Republic, well, mired's a little pejorative. As someone who is steeped and learned in Republican politics, and yet also can fairly be called a member of the uh, elite class, do you think there's anything to the critique that the media is too out of touch and too elite and didn't get it? Yes. 
Uh, I think the media has a few biases, and I think they recognize it. One bias is a bias toward process. They like to cover the plumbing, not the water. And what Trump proved, because he essentially did not have a campaign, is that message trumps all, particularly in the digital era, where the message can get out unfiltered. So the media needs to get over its interest in graphic polling focus groups and all that and, and, and cover content more. I think they learned that. And second, you know, Trump was a triumph of what the media elites, and I don't mean to be this pejorative with them, but might refer to as flyover America. And a reconnection with that. If I were running CNN, I'd move the news bureau to Chicago or Kansas City uh, and to kind of reconnect with the rest of the country, not just the coastal elites. But there will be no end of internal uh, review and, uh, and rethink in the, in the media industry. There will also be the show trials I was talking about. However, they're going to be on the Democratic side, not the Republican. And those will be painful, but probably productive to watch and see what happens. Because it, it, Donald Trump was still the most unpopular person ever run for president. He won, you know, more power to him. He won fair and square, albeit with less of the popular vote probably than Hillary Clinton. That, that number is going to grow with the final California results. But he did it. And um, the Democrats, who had much more campaign muscle and technology, had a real product problem, had, had a real message problem. I still don't know what her message was. So there ought to be an examination there. I, I, I finish up by saying the the parties both, we have a weird system in the U.S. Most Western democracies don't do it this way. We put them all in this big death pit with millions of primary voters, and they all follow their own agendas. In most places, the party picks the person they think can win. Now, you can argue now that maybe Trump had the winning blueprint, but Hillary didn't, and it was only her internal muscle that allowed her, a flawed general election candidate, to survive under the rules, the death pit, and get the nomination. But in hindsight, does that really do the Democratic Party or, in another scenario, the Republican Party, any justice? Maybe it's time to bring back the smoke-filled room. Mike Murphy, Republican consultant, Radio Free GOP, going dark for a while. We'll be back. Thank you, Mike. Thank you. It's great to be on. How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. And now the spiel. So as I said last night, there was a live event that Jacob uh, of Trumpcast and I did at the Bell House. And by the end, it was supposed to be a jamboree, but it was in fact a cataclysm. So there on the stage with me was Virginia Heffernan. She's the author of Magic and Lost, The Internet as Art. And I just want to play this maybe almost to thank her because like I have said on this show, I use ideas to heal and she gave me a couple. She at least was game enough to discuss with me. And in that discussion, I don't know if epiphanies were reached, but certainly some insights that helped me a little bit were gleaned. So I'll play this uh, part of Virginia and I talking and it starts with the idea that maybe nothing was learned, but just truths were revealed. And it ends with the idea that even the opposite result would have uh, left us in a country that maybe we didn't understand. But if understanding was the goal, this perhaps gets us incrementally more towards at least asking the right questions. So we're not usually like experiencing this much personal distress in public. Mm -hmm. Like, 
it's like we all just found out that our mother's like critically ill. Yeah. So is, does everyone feel that way or am I missing something? Like, okay. The thing that, the thing, okay, so I was thinking about this and I thought that Hillary Clinton would win. I thought the odds were somewhere uh, in the upper 80%. And I thought what would be happening is we would adhere to the rules of drama. And the best dramas or even comedies are not only does the antagonist lose and the evildoer get his comeuppance, but how perfect would it be for that comeuppance to be delivered by the very person the bully was being picked on? So it would look like, with the early vote, that this huge Latino surge in voting was going to be a repudiation of Donald Trump. So that was a great thing to hold on to. Now that it's not, the uh, paradigm that I'm thinking of is the marriage proposal. This is the marriage proposal that you thought would have one answer and then has one a, a different answer. So, and it's also being done at the Jumbotron in Yankee Stadium. So the guy's got down on his knee. Right. He's made the marriage proposal. He's been rejected by his pseudor. And what now? It seems like the end of the world. Perhaps for that individual it is. Yep. But the pieces can be picked up. I mean, I, I do like this thing that we were say, talking about a little bit and what you said in the very beginning, Mike, that we, we're not actually learning anything new. Like, yeah, the, yeah. the last six months have been, you know, an appalling set of just, like, punch, punching, punch, like, punches to the gut of revelations about who, American, who Americans are. And, and, and now we're learning that it's a greater percentage of people were that, you know, were that frightened were that angry were that um you know felt that disenfranchised from every cultural institution i mean i just i keep going back to trumpites don't like the vatican they don't like the banks they don't like mexicans they don't like women they don't like muslims there's nothing like nothing we, they don't like justin timberlake and oprah yeah or you rap know? they don't they like don't understand rap. rap right what is it so singing or talking anything you might have said this is like mainstream on the nose culture. I think they almost they don't like Beyonce and Jay Z, but I don't think they like Taylor Swift either. Like there's nothing <laughs> that they like. So that many people were alienated. We kind of knew it was a lot, but we just maybe didn't know it was the majority. And so I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter who's the president. Maybe it was going to be like if Hillary wins or if she was going to win that that would just cover up. And that's it for today's show. Just producer Mary Wilson points to Pokemon Go to the polls as some sort of tipping point. Just producer Chris Berube is eager to embrace Melania's anti-bullying campaign. Executive producer of Slate podcast Steve Lichtai wonders if Bully Bush can have his job back. Chief content officer of the Panoply Network Andy Bowers posits that now Trump TV will just be known as C-SPAN 4. The gist, pretty psyched to find out that secret plan to beat ISIS possibly highly sentient badgers. Oomperu deperu duperu, and thanks for listening. You know, tomorrow my kids' heads are just going to smell as delicious, and, you know, strudel will taste as good, but what else will change? Ah, mmm. The first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At Caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com.